So, moving on to the movie of the week, we watched 2003's The Mother, directed by Roger Mitchell, written by Hanif Karishi. Probably mispronouncing that, my apologies. Uh, this movie stars Anne Reed as a woman who comes to London to visit her uh, children, a son and a daughter, uh, with her husband uh, by the name of Toots, played by Peter Vaughn. And while she's there, there is unfortunately a moment where her husband dies of what is probably a heart attack, and she is basically stuck with her family um, and trying to deal with the impact of her husband's death and trying to deal with herself, since she's never had to deal with herself in this way before. Um, it's an interesting movie in that she ends up, well, that's not the reason the movie is interesting, but she ends up getting involved in a relationship with a handyman who's a friend of her son's, played by Daniel Craig. And he's almost her escape hatch, in my opinion, to not having to deal with this family of hers. <laughs> I love your use of the word unfortunately there because the daughter's a real piece of work. Yes, she is. <laughs> <laughs> so we have the mother who's now basically staying with her uh, son since she can't stay at the house alone anymore. She just can't do it. And uh, it kind of goes from there. So before we get into some specifics of the plot, what would you guys think? Well, I I'll say first off, I don't really... It it's kind of a, a meets the theme in only the letter, but not the spirit. Um, in the sense that the movie was about so much more than a May-December romance... And I don't even know that I would call what happens between those two people a romance. I mean, com compared... I don't know if I'd even call it that. I mean, compared to the book we read, you know, where Teresa's relationship with Carol is, you know, at the forefront of the book and is, um, you know, what, what really drives the, the plot forward and is what we look to see resolved... I think this movie was much more about this woman figuring out how to reconnect and connect with her grown children, and the dalliance with the younger man was really just a side plot. I'm not saying I didn't like the movie. I'm just saying to me, it did not feel in any way like a romance in the same way that the book did definitely feel like a love affair. Well, I can totally see that. I mean, it is maybe not the main point of the movie, but it's certainly an important part of the movie. What'd you think, Randy? I liked it. I um, <clears throat> thought it was nicely, in that British way, nicely understated, um, where it was just because, again, it was more of a character study than you know a, a plot-driven movie, and it was nicely understated, really nice work, uh, by the leads. Um, I thought Anne Reed was terrific. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's weird watching this movie now that Daniel Craig is Daniel Craig. Like, since this was released in 2003, which is, of course, a couple of years before Casino Royale, where I think that was, like, the big uh, turning point for his career. And now I think we all kind of see him differently. Here he's... I, I don't think he would play a blue-collar character like this anymore, or I would have a hard time seeing him 
as a blue-collar character like this now. He's just so Hugo Boss now, or whatever uh, suits they have him wearing in the Bond films. Yeah. Well, I think the um, the charm that he oozes as Bond, you know, the suaveness, is so lacking from this character. And since that's how most people encountered him, yeah, is is Bond. It would be hard not to forgive the character because of what you think of Daniel Craig because he plays Bond. Um, it's like there's some characters that, like, there's some actors that, um. Like I'm trying to think. There's a there's a really good example of this um, that is not coming to mind right now. Where it was a book and a movie, and I really didn't like the character in the book. But and I wish I could remember the example. But whoever the actress was that played it in the movie, suddenly I was like, okay, just by the sheer charisma and charm of that actress, that character has now become bearable. And so I think. Daniel Craig, as post-James Bond Daniel Craig, would have had that effect on a lot of viewers. They would have forgiven Darren his cruder and more crass traits that, you know, because of the goodwill they have for him as Bond. Have either of you seen Layer Cake? Because that's a movie that came out a year after uh, The Mother, and it has Craig as something a little more uh, crime-oriented, uh, he's much better dressed. He's more suave. Uh, he's a little more vicious. And I really do think that that's the movie that they looked at and said, oh, yeah, you can play Bond. No problem. I think that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, it's been in my queue for freaking forever. I just never have watched it. <laughs> I, I remember in 2005, after... He was announced as the next Bond, and when I was watching uh, Spielberg's Munich, in which he has a supporting role, um, just kind of trying to picture him as James Bond, and I could see it in his face, and I mean, especially in his eyes, even though his character in Munich, uh, one, is a supporting character, and two, is just more of a behind-the-scenes kind of uh, supporting uh, character in the, the story as well. Um, but yeah, it's 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 interesting how a a role as iconic as James Bond can really affect how you perceive an actor, even looking back at their earlier work. Huh? Daniel Craig is in Munich. Didn't know that. It must have been a part I slept through. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, Munich I thought was fantastic. If there's a very problematic scene towards the end, which seems to be uh, one of the things that's common to a lot of latter-day Spielberg movies, where the endings get a little bit muddled. Or they had uh, just uh, one act too far, probably. Yes. It is interesting in the movie Getting Back to the Mother that um, it's kind of weird just how much of an effort she is, the mother is trying to make to reconnect with her children, whether or not it works or not, um, that it feels like there has always been some kind of weird estrangement between her and the children. I mean, there's obviously been some, some distance there because, um, you know, 
when they when they arrive, the grandkids who are old enough at that point to remember adults from time between you know from time to time of meeting them, um, and and they uh, they don't rec- they don't know their grandparents, and they have to be reminded who they are. So either if they've never met them or they met them so long ago when they were too little to now remember them. So there's obviously been some distance between the family and they're trying to, you know, Toots is obvious. The husband Toots is obviously in very bad health, you know, nearing the end of his life. And I think this is probably that trip, you know, that people sometimes make of let's go see the family one last time. And um, I, I think that's very evident and I honestly wonder, because it felt to me like Toots was the more social of the two of them. I mean, like how he immediately started talking with Darren about cricket and how within moments of sitting down, he had the grandchildren on his lap. And, you know, he's the, the outgoing one, the more gregarious one, the more social one, whereas she's very tight and controlled. And it kind of makes you wonder, if Toots hadn't died, would she have ever bothered to try and get to know her children better? Or would she have allowed Toots to just con- con- kind of continue to be their ambassador I think probably. I'm willing to bet that she was the uh, disciplinarian as the parent. She was the one uh, busy running things while Toots was off working, and then he came home, and he was the uh, father who, for better or for worse, was uh, not the one running the household. That's what they regard her as. Right. Uh, The other thing I, I found was really interesting about this film... It was one of those very good films where I came away from it not liking anybody in it. You know, I mean, I mean, I'm not saying that makes it a bad film, but it was just it was so unsparing in its portrayal of these characters and their flaws. And I think that could maybe even be a criticism you could level against it is that I'm not sure I got any sense of the good side of these characters, you know, like, do they have good sides? What am I not seeing? You know, or are they all just a big bag of flaws and faults and, and poor character traits? It is interesting that we don't see that good side of many of the people. I mean, the best is probably Paula as much as of a mess as she is. Well, I think we, we I think I was just about to say I think Paula is maybe the only one that we get to see a good side to um because the people in her writing class clearly look up to her and think she's, you know, a good teacher and a kind woman. And so she at least gets some redemption. Uh you didn't get that impression that she is? Oh no, I totally got the impression that she actually is a good teacher who cares about her students. Right. But you don't really get that from any of the... Uh, there was... And in fact, there was one moment near the end of the film with um, the son. What was his name? Paul? Da- no, Bobby. Darren was Daniel Craig. Bobby. Bobby. With Bobby and, and May 
where you could almost see that they have a very similar sense of humor. Uh, and you kind of wonder how much Paul is more in temperament like his mom than either of them might realize. And I really wish that those two had found a way to connect. Cause I think, I think they have a better chance at one understanding one another and getting along and sharing things than she and Paula ever will. Although that's, that's what Paula wants to, I mean, that's what Paula wants to do. And what is she, you know, what's her ultimate solution? It's not talking, it's hitting. Well, it's kind of interesting because I had the impression that, uh, that no, and son, I, I, they, they aren't that close. And it's like he chooses not to be that involved. I don't know. I think he knows more than he lets on. I mean, like there was a, I, I think I just really liked that exchange where they were sitting at the table and what was it? He says something like, she says something like, when did you become so cold? And he says, when did you become so hot? Hmm. And, you know, I thought there was a, there was a kind of wryness to what he was saying that made me think that he is more likely to accept her and kind of humor her flaws and her coldness than Paula ever will be able to. Because to me, Paula is very much one of those let it all hang out, get in touch with your feelings. I mean, she even says that at one point. You know, I like to be open and honest, and I like to do things that way. And whenever I hear that, I just want to cringe because I'm like, oh, God, <laughs> you're an oversharer. You know, I mean, I just, I know enough people like that, that when I hear words like, well, I just like to have an open and honest dialogue, I just want to dive under the nearest piece of furniture. Well, it's like uh, why I figure I would never do well if God forbid ever had an addiction that I had to go into recovery for. Because I would be the worst in trying to share about how I dealt with my, <laughs> you know, circle therapy. Yeah, I, I can't imagine. I can't picture me in group therapy. I'd just be like, well, suck it up. <laughs> Next. <laughs> they throw me out like within two seconds. But, and I think in that way, I mean, not to say that I'm entirely like me, because I do think I perhaps have a little bit more of a maternal instinct, despite never having actually, you know, given birth. Then I think just in my personality, I have more of a maternal instinct than she does. And uh, I, you know, I just, you know, Paula is very much the kind of hippie earth mother type, could not be more different than May. And I don't know, I guess, you know, so yes, she does have this fling with the young guy. But to me, what this movie reminded me much more of are the kind of stories of a woman who has to come to realize that she doesn't really love her children. I mean, she loves them in, maybe she thinks she loves them in some sort of basic we're primates kind of way, but just is utterly lacking in that maternal instinct and didn't discover it until after she had children. Right. What do you think, Randy? We, we've, we've been talking nonstop, so what are your thoughts? 
Um, well, I think, given the the theme of this episode, while I was watching it, I definitely did focus more on the uh, relationship between uh, Darren and May than I did on the uh, the family stuff. Um, not that I wasn't aware that the family stuff was there. I just was much more, I think, also just interested in the, the May-Darren stuff than I was in the family um, stories. Um, because, yeah, Paula just seemed like a, a handful. Like, there was the scene where May was sort of spying on them after they had sex. Mm-hmm. And Paula got a little, well, belligerent mm-hmm. and just kind of annoying in that that overbearing female character sort of way. Mm-hmm. And, oh, yeah, I'm like, yeah, I, I, my, my main reaction to that was, yeah, I don't like her. <laughs> she, she's that type of character that drives me crazy. Um, so I might not have given her her development as a character, how she got to be that way, as, as fair a shot as I probably should have. So, yeah, Amy, I, I would say that, that your opinion on the story and just your perceptiveness about it have kind of not changed my opinion, but at least opened my eyes about it. Hmm. So thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> uh, I, I do kind of would be curious to see how this film would do playing over here now just because of the whole Daniel Craig thing. I mean, it just kind of came and went back in 2003, even though it got a decent release. Well, it's not really the kind of thing that we're going to embrace over here. It's also the kind of thing that had it been made a couple of years later and could have capitalized a little bit on the casting of Daniel Craig as Bond. um, Exactly. It would have had a bigger release in North America. Yeah. Um, I think... It's amazing to me that this is the same guy that directed Notting Hill. <laughs> I mean, I really like, I liked Notting Hill for what it was, uh, yeah. but this was so, so different in tone and even execution. I mean, like, you know, Notting Hill had the usual kind of rom-com pacing and setup and everything like that. And this was much different. Like, it was definitely willing to hold a beat much longer than an average film uh, I read in one of the reviews of it that they used natural lighting as much as possible. Uh, so in the daytime scenes, that was just light from outdoors, and in the nighttime scenes, or you know, in, indoors at night, you know, it was table lamps or overhead lights or you know whatever was just there present. And I think that was used to best effect. Um, in the contrast between the two sex scenes for May, um, well, I guess three, but, you know, the difference when she's with Darren, she's in this gorgeously lit bedroom, you know, with the white gauze curtains and the white duvet and everything's very, you know, comfortable and easy and serene and... Even the camera is still, right? And then in the the scene later with the old codger from the writing group, you know, it's at night, it's in a house, and so the only lamp is the table lamp, and so you get all these distorting shadows. And when you look at him from what would essentially be May's perspective, 
the camera goes really jerky. And, you know, so it's not just that the light is unsettling or that what's being said is unsettling. The actual frame of the film is unsettling. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought that was a very nice directorial touch on on Mitchell's part was was using every tool at his disposal to contrast those two encounters. Yeah, you're making me think I should go back and reconsider Notting Hill, which I haven't seen in quite a while. Um, here's the thing I hate most about Notting Hill is the soundtrack. Uh, Notting Hill came out when country was having a big crossover into top 40. This is a problem. Uh, it was the bad kind of country. And so there's a lot of country music, country pop that sounds really incongruous to both the film and the setting. Can we describe it as Faith Hill? Okay, yes. Gotcha. Um, totally understand. But the film itself is really good. And I think especially if you focus on the supporting cast, it's got a terrific supporting cast. Um, it has uh, Reese Iffens is his roommate. And, you know, he's weird and funny and great. Um, I believe it's got Gina McKee in it as well, who, you know, has gone on to do work for Neil Gaiman in, um, what's the one? Um, Coraline. Uh, and. But Coraline? I mean, it's just basically. Coraline? Coraline. Uh, Coraline. She does. Is she the voice of Coraline? No, she's the voice of the other mother. I thought Michelle Pfeiffer did the voice of both people in that. Uh, she's in it. Because I remember seeing her in the... Um... Oh, you'll also like it. It's got Dylan Moran in it from Black Dylan Books. Dylan Moran is my spirit animal. So, there you go. <laughs> uh, hey, Clark Peters is in it. He is. I want to be... Uh, uh, A very young Misha Barton is in it. Oh, God. Misha Barton must have been um, like five. Her she character's name, according to IMDb, is 12-year-old actress. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Tim McInerney. Wait, Misha, Misha Barton is British? Yes, she is. What? And Emma Chambers, who I love on Vicar of Dibley. Hugh Bonneville is in it. I mean, it's got a terrific supporting cast, and their stories are really good. I've seen this movie in, like, and 10, at least 10 years, so look at this I cast, I really that need to uh, reevaluate it. In defense of Notting Hill, it also has... One of my absolute favorite time passes montages yes. ever. Yes. I was just about um, to mention that, Amy. Yeah. Where it's, uh, well, here, since you know it too, you, you describe it since I talk all the time. <laughs> well, it's, um, is Hugh, wa- Hugh Grant walking through a market and in what is effectively one unbroken shot, if I remember correctly. Yes. The seasons change from like late summer to autumn to winter to spring. Oh, oh yes, yes, I remember this. That, that, and well you done. can tell by the weather and him putting on a coat and taking off a coat. But yeah. there's also so many details happening in the background. Yeah, of like a couple argue, a couple meeting, a couple arguing, a couple breaking up, a pregnant woman, and then her holding a baby, and it's all set to uh, Bill Withers' "Ain't No Sunshine," which is just you know a fantastic yes. song. And it's just one of my, I mean, it's just such a clever way of indicating the passage of time, but also the sort of melancholy he has at the disruption in this romance that he's had and doesn't know if it will ever continue. And, you know, how he's kind of getting on with life. And it's just so good. So, sorry, 
total Notting Hill digression, oh, but <laughs> and like I said, I, I like Notting Hill, so it's not like I'm saying, oh my god, he made this horrible Mitchell made this horrible movie Notting Hill, and he made this great movie The Mother. I'm saying they're two very different movies in tone, in pacing, in subject matter, in genre, oh, oh. and I feel like he really nailed both. Amy, of them. you should see the movie that's in between Notting Hill and The Mother that he directed. Changing Lanes has nothing in common with either movie. Is that the one with Ben, ben Affleck, Affleck and, and Samuel L. Jackson? Was it any good? It is good. It just somehow got ignored. I, I think it might have been in the Ben Affleck backlash era. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. But yeah. it's a really weirdly excellent little thriller. Um, he, uh, sorry, Gina McKee was in Mirror Mask, not Coraline. Oh, okay, okay. Mirror Mask I didn't like. Sorry, so, sorry. She was in as well. I'm thinking that's where you might know her from. Uh, so, anyway, I think a lot of credit goes to Mitchell. I don't know what he's done since The Mother or what he's got coming up, but I, I think he's somebody now that I'm going to keep uh, an eye on. Morning Glory, which I liked. Ooh. <laughs> Rachel McAdams yeah. one? Yep. The, the thing I remember most about Morning Glory is uh, Harrison Ford's quirky socks, which told you that he wasn't just the gruff exterior that he had a certain soft side to him. Sue me, I kind well, of like also, that movie. excuse me, the star <laughs> of any movie in which it appears is Rachel McAdams' ass. And, I mean, it's glorious. <laughs> it's glorious in tweed pants in Sherlock. And I think there's like a protracted scene of her wearing like no pants, just underwear in, in Morning Glory. And I mean, it was all, I was just staring at, I was just like, Damn. You know, like, whatever else was happening in that scene was obliterated by the glory of Rachel McAdams' ass. I think of About Time, there is a moment where she's in pants, British pants, uh, but it's not exactly a protracted uh, from-behind scene. Well, that's too bad. Uh, He also directed Hyde Park on Hudson, which looked kind of awful. Yeah. And he has something coming up, which is a collaboration with him and the same writer as... uh, as uh, the mother, Lay Weekend, hmm. who is starring Jim Broadbent. Well, that sounds promising. So, summing up, uh, we're I think we're definitely all recommending this movie. Yeah, I mean, it's not exactly the feel-good movie of 2003, <laughs> yes. but it's definitely worth your oh, time. Yeah. And it's really hard to find. Uh, my wife saw the cover of the, of the movie... And honestly asked, and based on the cover, which I'm going to put up on the uh, post here, asked, is this one of those incest movies? Because the cover does <laughs> kind of look like, I mean, the title, The Mother, and there's Anne Reed and Daniel Craig. I'm like, that's a totally legitimate interpretation of this DVD cover. Wow. Okay, mine just has Anne Reed in front of two blue people. Kissing blue people. Oh, oh, the, uh, the 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 movie poster. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I wonder if this the movie also looks like. might have benefited from a different title because of those very connotations with with uh, the themes and the mother. I think they were trying. Oh, now I see the cover you're talking about, and I think they were trying to. I mean. You know, she is at the center of the film, and she is the mother. And, uh, you know, I kept wondering, were they trying to make 
like some sort of horrible pun, you know, like the mother of all problems or the mother of all dysfunctional families or something like that. That was like the Albert Brooks movie. I was going to go for a no, I mean, that, was, that one was just called Mother. They needed to swap <laughs> titles. That's what they needed to do. Uh, and honestly, uh, while I'm watching it, I'm, I was thinking, my God, maybe I mispicked and I should have persuaded uh, that this should have been the movie for the next week because not to make a horrible yes. transition – this would have been a perfect movie pick for next week. So, what's that theme? Who picked that theme? Uh, Randy? So, yeah, the next, next week's theme was my pick. And apparently Amy doesn't like how broad my theme are. What? She I like- said no such thing. <laughs> <laughs> Amy prefers to come up with very specific, difficult themes that are hard to satisfy. Whereas I prefer to come up with a broad theme and let Joe and Amy use it as they will. You guys can come up with whatever theme you want. (laughs) I complain. (laughs) So anyway, Randy, what's the theme? Yeah, so the theme for the uh, the next uh, episode is going to be parents. And Joe, you had the I book, do. correct? We are going to be yes. reading uh, 1972's My Name is Asher Lev by Chaim Potok. That's P-O-T-O-K. For those of you in the listening audience who have not read the book, uh, it is a book about an artist coming out of a Hasidic Jewish community. And I think it totally fulfills uh, the theme. And God, I love this book. Amy? I'm glad you said the name of the author and not me, because I can't do that at the beginning. <laughs> We've got a Southerner and a Canadian. We're going to have so much fun with some of these pronunciations, I'm sure. I know, right? I'm like, Chame? <laughs> I've been, I've been Chame? reading it, and honestly, the names are not that bad. Chame Potok? Oh, God. <laughs> <sighs> anyway, I'll, I'll, maybe, I'll just, maybe I'll just have the, the Polish kid sitting next to me, and I'll, I'll make him dub in every time I have to say the name. How do you pronounce um, How do I pronounce L'chaim. who what? Well, I don't know what that is, so I'd say it just like you did. To life, to life, l'chaim, 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 to life. Oh, like in the Black Eyed Peas song. Oh, Jesus, God in heaven. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong religion, Joe. Oh, Jesus was a Jew. <laughs> yeah, but they quibble. All uh, right, so. Amy has the movie. Anyway, the movie I chose is uh, The Family Stone, uh, which came out in, I think, 2005 or so. Let me That's check. Correct. 2005. Um, yeah, 2005. And it was kind of on the heels of the whole meet the parents kind of <sighs> juggernaut. And if you look at the poster for it, it's the worst um, poster ever. It's a woman holding up her ring finger on her left hand as if she's flipping the bird, but with her ring finger that's got an engagement ring on it. Um, so it's it's more about like a family as a whole than just parents. Uh, but the, the patriarch and matriarch of this family are played by Craig T. Nelson and Diane Keaton. And I am 99% positive that this movie is what landed Craig T. Nelson, his current role on Parenthood. Because I think you're not going to see too many dissimilarities between Kelly Stone, the father on in the Family Stone, and Zeke Braverman, the father on Parenthood that he played. I've never seen Parenthood. 
Um, it's really good, Joe. I think you'd like oh, it good. a lot. Um, and it, I, like I said, very much that. And then, is uh, that the one with the uh, janitor from Scrubs? No, that's no, the that's the middle. That's a sitcom. Okay. Um, and you've got, and when of course when you have Diane Keaton as the Neil mother, Flynn, sorry. When you have Diane Keaton as the mother, uh, that's, you know, she's obviously going to be a big part. Yeah. And so that's why, even though it is about the whole family, and rounding out the family is Claire Danes, uh, Luke Wilson, and Rachel McAdams, whose ass I don't remember <laughs> in this movie. So How could you forget? Um, well, she must not have been wearing good pants. I don't know. We'll figure it out. Um <laughs> Maybe she hadn't met her glutes trainer yet. All right, and then hmm. you also have Elizabeth Reeser in a in a role in a small role. She plays like a sister in law, and I really like her. She's an actress I find very interesting. So even though it's got she's, a really talent, yeah, she's one of those people who's been in a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Um, so even though it's got a really talented uh, cast, you know, you could argue at the time that Diane Keaton is going to be. Diane Keaton or Sarah Jessica Parker are going to be the star of mm-hmm. this of this movie. So that's why I think I'm making a case for, even though it's about the whole family, it really is a lot about the parents. Okay. So that's cool. how I'm managing to pick it. I want to add one other thing to this, which is that it's up to you whether you do it before or after you watch the movie. But I want you to, in addition to watching the movie, watch the trailer for this movie uh, it How is one of is the it? it is one of the most egregious cases of a trailer being not at all like the movie I have ever known. Please uh, tell me there's a record scratch in it. There might be. I don't remember. Um, I might suggest watching it after, simply because there are a few punchlines that will be spoiled. I mean, not really plot lines, but there's a few punchlines that get given away in the trailer, and so you might as well save yourself the laugh in the movie. Um, but I don't want to talk any more about that. Now, the difference between it, um, because to talk about the differences between it, we'll really need to talk about what happens in the movie, which will involve some plot spoilers. So, but I do want to make sure that's something we discuss when we get down to talking about this movie. Sure. So, uh, it looks like we're going to be reading. My name is Asha Lev by Chaim Potok from 1972. My apologies if I've mangled his name. And we're going to be watching The Family Stone from 2005. So, any parting thoughts, guys? <coughs> Happy Thanksgiving! Happy American Thanksgiving. Well, U.S. Thanksgiving. <laughs> yes, Thanksgiving was a month and yeah, a half ago. I don't, think Thanksgiving requi- I, don't think, I don't think we require the qualifier. I think the Canadians do. There's Thanksgiving oh. and there's Canadian Thanksgiving. Wow. Oh, boy. Here we go. <laughs> Anyway, folks, we'll see you back in two weeks. Hope everyone in the U.S. had a good Thanksgiving. I'm Joseph Finn. Wait, wait, you can wait. Find when is at, this going up? Oh, uh, this should go up on Monday. I'm flying out on Tuesday, so I'm going to so do a Thanksgiving quick... Thanksgiving won't have happened yet. Yes, that's why I'm telling people, have a happy Thanksgiving. You said, I hope you had. Well, I apologize, folks. Have a happy Thanksgiving. Sorry, living with the exchange student, I pay a lot of attention to tenses now. Uh, now you're making me tense. Yeah. Uh-uh. Uh, anyway, folks, you can find me at Joseph Finn. That's J-O-S-E-P-H-F-I-N-N at Twitter. You can find Amy at Amy Watts, A-M-Y. 
W-A-T-T-S. You can find Randy at R-A-N-D-O-I-S on Twitter. You can find us at tryitandlikeit.blogspot.com. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. The chain is on your door, I understand But this is me swallowing my pride Standing in front of you saying I'm sorry for this